Welcome to the August 13th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a study exploring the use of demethylating agents in patients with adult T-cell leukemia lymphoma, learn more about hematopoietic stem cell formation, and examine treatment timing and prognosis in newly diagnosed patients with acute myeloid leukemia. Our first topic is a study entitled Targeting Aberrant DNA Hypermethylation as a Driver of ATL Leukemogenesis Using the New Oral Demethylating Agent OR2100, conducted by Tatsuro Watanabe from Saga University in Japan and colleagues. By way of background, adult T-cell leukemia lymphoma, or ATL, is an aggressive hematological malignancy of CD4 T-cells transformed by human T-cell lymphotropic virus 1, or HTLV1. It is endemic in parts of Japan, the Caribbean, South America, Africa, and the Middle East, although approximately 20 million people are infected with HTLV1 worldwide. Most HTLV1-infected individuals are asymptomatic, and only 3-5% to of carriers actually develop ATL. Understanding the process of ATL leukemogenesis could advance development of effective therapies for approximately the 12% of human cancers caused by infections with oncoviruses, since these cancers share common traits. Following HTLV1 infection, it takes decades for carriers to develop symptoms. Four clinical subtypes exist, including smoldering, chronic, acute, and lymphoma. Although smoldering and chronic are relatively indolent, about half progress to more advanced ATL subtypes, including acute and lymphoma. Watanabe and colleagues sought to analyze the contribution of aberrant DNA methylation to ATL leukemogenesis. They hypothesized that DNA hypermethylation contributes to growth advantages in HTLV1-infected cells during ATL leukemogenesis. To identify DNA methylation changes that occur specifically in HTLV1 T-cells at an early stage of multi-step carcinogenesis, the authors carefully isolated HTLV1-infected T-cells and their uninfected counterparts based on CAD-M1 and CD7 expression status that reflects ATL disease progression. They found that regional DNA hypermethylation occurred specifically in HTLV1-infected cells and that its accumulation correlated with disease progression. The investigators identified 22 genes downregulated due to promoter hypermethylation in HTLV1-infected T-cells. These included Themis, LAIR1, and RNF130, which negatively regulate T-cell receptor, or TCR, signaling. Phosphorylation of ZAP70, a transducer of TCR signaling, was dysregulated in HTLV1-infected cell lines, but was normalized by re-expression of themis. To test the hypothesis that DNA methylation confers growth advantages to HTLV1-infected cells, they investigated the efficacy of DNA demethylating agents. These included decytabine and the novel oral decytabine prodrugs OR1200, and OR2100, or OR21, which exhibit enhanced bioavailability. 
Both decitabine and OR21 inhibited cell growth, accompanied by global DNA hypomethylation in xenograft tumors established by implementation of HTLV1-infected cells. OR21 demonstrated less hematologic toxicity than decitabine, whereas tumor growth inhibition was almost identical between the two compounds, making OR21 particularly suitable for long-term treatment of ATL patient-derived xenograft mice. In conclusion, Watanabe and colleagues' data suggest that aberrant regional DNA hypermethylation initiated by infection with HTLV1 contributes to ATL leukemogenesis. In their accompanying commentary, Christopher Jolly from University of New South Wales, Australia, and John Pamanda of Prince Wales Hospital in Sydney, explained that despite limitations of the xenograft model and small sample size, the data are a compelling precursor for clinical evaluation of demethylating agents in ATL. The authors also point out that drugs such as OR21, if found to be effective in ATL, could be trialed as part of a chemopreventative strategy for high-risk HTLV1 carriers and patients with more indolent forms of ATL. More broadly, demethylating agents may also have a role in other oncovirus-related cancers, including human papillomavirus-associated head and neck squamous cell carcinoma and Epstein-Barr virus-positive gastric cancer, which also exhibit aberrant DNA hypermethylation. Our next topic details two studies that explore the molecular and cellular mechanisms that drive the birth of vertebrate hematopoietic stem cells, or HSCs. Jin Zhu and colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, unravel new stages in the development of hematopoietic stem cells, while Laurent Yvernojo, Catherine Robin, and colleagues at the Hubrecht Institute in the Netherlands identify and functionally validate novel regulatory molecules in the supporting microenvironment. HSCs are widely used as therapeutic options for regenerating the hematopoietic system after leukemia treatment or for gene therapy applications. Although bone marrow or mobilized peripheral blood cells are common sources of HSCs, the availability of an immune-compatible donor is often a limitation. The possibility to generate HSCs in vitro has been a long-sought goal of the transplant and regenerative fields of medicine. Although proof-of-concept experiments have been achieved, these processes are not robust enough yet for clinical application. A better understanding of the developmental stages of HSC formation in vivo will improve our ability to generate these cells in vitro. As George Lacaud from the Cancer Research UK Manchester Institute reminds us in his accompanying commentary, the vertebrate hematopoietic system is established through successive waves of blood cell generation. Hemogenic endothelial cells from the yolk sac undergo an endothelial to hematopoietic cell transition, which gives rise to hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells that accumulate in intra-arterial clusters before colonizing the fetal liver. These cells ultimately sustain the hematopoietic system during adulthood. In their study, Developmental Trajectory of Pre-Hematopoietic Stem Cell Formation from Endothelium, Zhu and colleagues sought to examine the cell and molecular transitions between endothelial, hemogenic endothelial, and intra-arterial clusters and the heterogeneity of hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells within the intra-arterial clusters. 
They profiled approximately 37,000 cells from the caudal arteries of day 9.5 to 11.5 mouse embryos by single-cell RNA sequencing and single-cell assays for transposase-accessible chromatin sequencing. The investigators identified a continued developmental trajectory from endothelial to hemogenic endothelial to intra-arterial cluster cells with identifiable intermediate stages. A developmental bottleneck separates the pre-hemogenic endothelial from the hemogenic endothelial stage, with RUNCS1 dosage regulating the efficiency of this transition. This intermediate stage, most proximal to formation of hemogenic endothelial cells, is characterized by increased accessibility to chromatin by transcription factor motifs such as SOX, FOX, GATA, and SMAD. In addition, a distal candidate RUNCS1 enhancer exhibits high chromatin accessibility specifically in pre-hemogenic endothelial cells at the bottleneck, but loses accessibility thereafter. Distinct developmental trajectories within intra-arterial cluster cells result in two populations of CD45-positive hematopoietic stem cells. An initial wave of lymphomyeloid-biased progenitors at embryo day 10.5, followed by pre-HSC at embryo day 11.5. This multi-omic single-cell atlas, created by Zhu and colleagues, significantly expands our understanding of pre-hematopoietic stem cell ontogeny and will help inform pre-HSC production from embryonic stem cell cultures ex vivo. The second study, conducted by Ivernojo, Robin, and colleagues, entitled Multi-Species RNA Tomography, reveals regulators of hematopoietic stem cell birth in the embryonic aorta, explores the molecular characteristics and key components of the aorta gonad mesonophros, or AGM, microenvironment, where the first hematopoietic stem cells are generated during development. How the AGM niche regulates these essential processes in vivo is still poorly understood. HSC regulation by extrinsic signals is a complex process that occurs via direct cell-to-cell -cell contact or long-range distribution of secreted molecules acting directly or by inducing secondary signals. To accomplish this, the authors performed genome-wide RNA tomography sequencing, or TomoSeq, of zebrafish, chicken, mouse, and human embryos. They sliced AGM sections mainly along a dorsal-ventral axis and processed for RNA-seq to generate transcriptional maps. The resulting anterior, posterior, and dorsal-ventral transcriptional maps provided a powerful resource for exploring genes and regulatory pathways active in the aortic environment. Comparative analyses identified a set of three genes, PODXL, ALDH1A2, and PPARGC1A, expressed in the aortic microenvironment of all four species, and which were previously implicated in regulation of hematopoiesis. To create a more in-depth analysis between the niche and HSCs, the authors combined AGM microenvironment TomoSeq datasets with cell cluster datasets from mouse and chicken embryos. This led to the identification of ligand receptor interactions active between the aortic microenvironment and clusters. The data revealed a new conserved extrinsic HSC regulator, ADM, and its receptor, RAMP2, that was also functionally validated in vivo. 
The authors also identified SVEP1 as the first extrinsic regulator of both cluster cellularity and cluster cell fate towards HSC formation. In summary, by performing interspecies comparative RNA-seq analysis and functional assays, the authors were able to explore the complexity of the aortic microenvironment and the interplay of various factors that control hematopoietic stem cell generation, both in time and space, in vivo. As Lacaud points out, researchers are now getting closer to the prospect of generating complete spatial and temporal transcription maps of the aortic niche and the genesis of hematopoietic stem cells. An ultimate challenge, he states, is to implement these new findings to generate clinical-grade HSCs in vitro. Our final topic today is the study entitled, Does Time from Diagnosis to Treatment Affect the Prognosis of Patients with Newly Diagnosed Acute Myeloid Leukemia? Conducted by Christoph Raulig from the University Hospital Dresden in Germany and his colleagues. AML is considered a medical emergency and left untreated has a median survival of only 17 weeks. Thus, in fit patients, immediate treatment start has traditionally been advocated due to AML's poor prognosis. An immediate treatment strategy was supported by a retrospective analysis demonstrating a shorter survival in AML patients up to the age of 60 years in whom treatment was delayed by more than five days. However, another analysis showed no prognostic effect for the time from diagnosis to treatment, or TDT. Significant differences between patient characteristics and treatment may account for the study's different conclusions. Raulig and colleagues sought to re-examine the relationship between TDT and prognosis, utilizing a large retrospective data set from the German Study Alliance Leukemia Group AML Registry. All non-APL patients from the registry with intensive induction treatment containing standard to higher-dose cytarabine plus an anthracycline or mitoxantrone and a minimum of follow-up time of 12 months were selected resulting in a sample size of 2,263 subjects. The researchers analyzed the influence of TDT on remission, early death, and overall survival using univariable analyses for each day of treatment delay, using groupings of 0 to 5, 6 to 10, 11 to 15, and greater than 15 days of TDT. They then adjusted for the influence of established prognostic variables on the outcomes. The median TDT was three days, and the unadjusted two-year overall survival rates were not statistically different between the four TDT groupings in univariate and multivariate analyses. When overall survival was stratified for age less than or equal to 60 and greater than 60 years, and for higher versus lower initial white blood cell count, no significant differences were observed between the TDT groups. Thus, the authors conclude that a treatment delay has no negative prognostic impact on AML outcomes. Blood's special section editor, Georgia Vogelsang, suggests that many may find these results counterintuitive. Possible reasons why TDT did not affect remission and survival may include the fact that disease with signs of high proliferation were treated earlier, as indicated by shorter TDT in patients with a high white blood cell count, high blast count, and or high LDH. Additionally, the use of hydroxyurea can delay or prevent complications associated with a high white blood cell count. Similarly, 
advanced supportive care, including the use of broad-spectrum prophylactic antibiotics and antifungals, can reduce the risk of infectious complications as well. A second important reason why TDT may not exhibit prognostic impact is that leukemia-specific biologic prognostic factors, such as age and genetic alterations, are stronger determinants of treatment response and the risk of relapse. The authors also suggest another interpretation, that TDT does in fact matter, but that clinicians are adept at determining who needs urgent treatment and who can or should wait. It may be more beneficial to start treatment early in patients with disease-related hematologic emergencies such as coagulopathy, leukostasis, or neutropenic fever. However, more stable individuals may benefit from delay to allow medical optimization. This delay can allow time to both optimize any comorbidities and wait for genetic and other laboratory results that permit assignment to the best available intensive treatment. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.